Thanks, Emily. So, here's what I'm not going to do. Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to preach a sermon on coronavirus. I'm not going to do a thing on uh, how to be the church during the age of COVID-19. Uh, not that that's not appropriate. Lots of people are doing that, and that's great. I'm also not going to dispense wisdom um, about how to make your way through this. Uh, I'm trusting that y'all are watching the news, uh, and I'm trusting that uh, you all are, are following the advice of, uh, of the experts. So uh, keep doing that. Uh, and yeah, so this morning, instead, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to look at, uh, we're going to sort of a little bit return to normal. And we're going to look at a story that, that comes up during the season of Lent. Uh, and the story is John chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 42. Uh, hopefully you've got it with you and you can, uh, you can uh, follow along. We're going to read it to you. And then uh, we're going to, we're going <laughs> to, I don't know how this is going to go, but we're going to talk about it. Uh, and uh, I'm going to say some things. I've got some things prepared. And Emily is invited to interrupt and uh, ask questions and uh, say whatever she wants to. Uh, so we're hoping that this is a little bit more like a like a like a hangout, a small group time, uh, just in your homes. Uh, so it'll be different, but I think it'll be fun and I think it'll be uh, meaningful. So John four one through forty two. Uh, before we read it, we're going to pray and then we'll get going. So God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this book. Um, help us to. As we read it and talk about it, help us to hear your voice. Uh, we pray that that through this unique experience and time that we get to share together, we pray that you would that you would meet us where we are and and give us what we need. Um, above all, we want you to know that we love you. Uh, open our hearts, change us, and transform us in any way that that we need it. Amen. So, John four. Here's the story. Uh, it, it may be familiar to you. Uh, it's the woman at the well. So here we go. Uh, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, so it's high noon. It's hot. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman says, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain, not in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And then the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. He goes on to say, Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, What do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see, a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it is still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and a harvest, a crop for eternal life. So that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and the other reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. So good. I we will go that. that far. We will go that far. <laughs> um... <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so you've heard this story before. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, this is one of those stories that, that's sort of a, a familiar story. Uh, even if you um, haven't heard it a lot, you're somewhat familiar with it. And one of the things that happens when we're familiar with stories is we, we figure out that they, they sort of accumulate layers of interpretation. So these are things that, that sort of sometimes get added to the story in our minds. Sometimes we've been taught things. Sometimes uh, we've just caught them. Sometimes we just make assumptions. So when we come to a story that we're, we're really familiar with, it's important to ask questions, to question those layers uh, of interpretations. And uh, questions are good. Uh, I don't want you to be afraid of questions ever. Uh, so I'm gonna talk to the kids right now. Uh, if you ever have questions, ask them. Especially ask your parents. parents don't be upset with me for telling your kids to do this. They should ask questions. 
Uh, if you hear me say something and you're like, yeah, I don't know about that, uh, ask. Ask a question. Questions are good. Jesus loved questions. He asked all kinds of questions. Uh, he taught in such a way that made people ask questions. Remember Nicodemus a couple weeks ago. Um, Jesus said, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And Nicodemus was like, what? How can a person who's old go back into his mother's womb and be born again? So how can this be? So ask questions. And so as I was looking over this story again, um, trying to figure out what, what God wanted us to talk about, um, I, I questioned one of the layers of interpretation that often gets put on this story. And that layer of interpretation is this, that the woman is a prostitute. Like if you Google this story, it won't take you long to find uh, places where people say this woman must have been a prostitute. Because we get to that part in the story where it talks about her having five husbands and the man she's not living with now is also not her husband. And we think to ourselves, she must do this for a living. Um, but if you look at the story, nowhere in there does it say that she's a prostitute. John doesn't say it. Uh, in fact, this, uh, this, this story doesn't seem to be about sexual sin at all. Like, we like to go there because that's sensational. That's, uh, that's scandalous, and we love scandalous headlines. Uh, so we sort of make that assumption. But nowhere in there does Jesus call her a sinner. Nowhere in there does Jesus say, go and sin no more. So this, this story doesn't seem to be about that, right? I did not know that. <laughs> Thank you. Learning new things every day. <laughs> so here's some things that we can say about the story. Um, this is the longest conversation that Jesus has, the longest recorded conversation that Jesus has uh, in the Bible with any one person. Uh, and we can also say that uh, this is the first person uh, that Jesus reveals his true identity to. Uh, this woman then becomes the first, uh, the first preacher, the first missionary. Uh, she goes to her hometown and ever tells about her experience, and everybody wants to meet Jesus. And then he spends two days with them. So she's the first, she's the first preacher. Um, so there are all kinds of really cool things uh, to talk about. But uh, three main things I want to bring to your attention, uh, and the first one is this: um, Jesus crosses all kinds of boundaries just to give this woman what she desperately needed. Uh, he treats an enemy uh, with, uh, with respect and dignity. Uh, imagine that. Treats an enemy with dignity. Crosses all kinds of barriers. So the way John tells the story, he says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And the thing is, is he didn't have to go through Samaria. In fact, most good Jews would go around Samaria. They were going from Jerusalem in the south to Galilee in the north. Samaria is in between. Jews would go around Samaria because Jews and Samaritans had like a 500-year history of hating each other. Uh, so Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. Each of them thought that they were uh, superior in every way, uh, morally, culturally, racially, ethnically, uh, rigid, religiously, Superior than the other. Uh, so Jesus and his disciples, they're in, uh, in foreign territory. It's, uh, 
It's hot. They're on edge. The disciples are like, look, man, we're going to go get some grub. And so we find Jesus uh, just sitting on the edge of a well uh, by himself. When along comes this, this Samaritan woman, he engages her in conversation. And he's not supposed to do that. Um, what he's doing at this point is he's breaking all sorts of religious, social, and cultural norms. Uh, he's, there are all sorts of boundaries that he's just, it's almost as if he's acting like they're not there. She's got a lot going against her. First, she's a woman. Uh, no, uh, no Jewish man, no rabbi would speak to a woman alone in public ever. Just wouldn't do it. Uh, she's a Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans don't like each other. They'd rather, instead of asking for water from a Samaritan, a Jewish person would be like, I'm just going to be thirsty. I'm going to stay thirsty, my friends. So. Yeah. Well, and you're going and you're talking about all these questions. I'm going to stop you. And thank you. Say one of the basic questions, especially when you were talking to kids, is why? Why? Yeah. Why? Like, why did he go through Samaria? Why did he yeah. go to the well? Some of those are basic. Maybe he was thirsty. Yeah. But why did he cross the boundaries? Why did he... Right. right. Why what why this woman? Why was she there at this yeah. time? You know, all these whys. And as you're talking, a lot of these are getting answered. Yeah. But I'm just making notes like little pings of all these times my brain's like, why? Why is that? Yeah. So, because it's fascinating. The the woman, she really represents the other. Uh, and she's the foreigner, she's the alien. She represents she represents all the all the boundaries that we good religious people aren't supposed to cross. Jesus crosses them all. He, he breaks them all down. And this is, why, this is why Jesus kept getting in trouble with the religious authorities, the, the religious elite, the, uh, the scribes, the Pharisees. Uh, this, is, this is one of the reasons why he got himself killed, uh, because of things like this. But here's the deal. I think that as because we say we follow Jesus. And if we follow Jesus, I think this story becomes an invitation for us to do the same thing, to cross those barriers. It becomes, I think it becomes a, an invitation to live into the reality that people are more than just the sum of their cultural, racial, economic, religious identities. And that list goes on and on and on. I think it becomes an invitation for us to, to really pay attention to the prejudices that we carry around with us, our biases, even the ones that we don't think we have. Uh, because a lot of times we don't like to admit that we, that we even have them. So I think it's important for us to cross those barriers and those boundaries and to do it uh, intentionally. But then the question for me always becomes, like, I talk about this a lot, and the, one of the reasons why I talk about this a lot is because Jesus is constantly doing this, and it's infuriating. And so, the, he keeps doing it, so we have to keep talking about it. And I think one of the things we need to think about is how are we intentionally doing this in our lives? How do we, how do we pay attention to crossing boundaries, to breaking down the walls that separate us. And look, if there's one thing this thing, this whole pandemic thing is teaching us, I think, 
is that we're all in the same boat, man. There's, we're all on the same level. Uh, if, if, you know, this is, we're all suffering together, not just us, but the whole world. Uh, we're all the same. And so these barriers that we construct to separate us from other people uh, are sometimes things happen in history where we don't have a choice, they just break themselves down. But I think in a lot of ways we need to be intentional about breaking them down. So how do we, how do, we do that? Um, that becomes the question. A question y'all can talk about when I'm done talking here, when we're done talking here. Have that conversation uh, as a family or get on the phone with somebody or FaceTime somebody. However, start having those conversations. How do we intentionally break down those walls? Yeah, we can talk about it in the comments if we want to. Yeah, talk about it in the comments. Comment down below. Um, there's, this, there's, there's this author named Barbara Brown Taylor. She's fantastic. Uh, she's written a book called An Altar in the World. Um, and one of the things that she says in the book is that we need, uh, we need a whole lot more philozenia and a whole lot less xenophobia. Now, those are Greek words. They're all smashed together, so let's talk about them. Uh, philo is the Greek word, one of the Greek words for love. Xenia is the Greek word for stranger. So she says we need a whole lot more love of stranger and a whole lot less xeno, stranger, phobia, fear. So we need a whole lot more love of stranger, a whole lot less fear of stranger. And then she goes in and she, she starts talking about practices. She sort of gives us a, a, a spiritual practice for us to, to use in order to, to get better at loving the stranger. And then she goes on, ironically enough, she goes on talking about how you can start in small ways, and then the accumulation of practicing this in small ways will allow us to get better at it in really big ways. And so one of the examples she gives is, uh, the primary example is, um, is engaging the cashier at the grocery store. And now, more than ever, I think this is an opportunity for us because grocery store cashiers, people who work in grocery stores, like they used to be just like normal people that we didn't pay much attention to. Now they're like hero status because they're, they're risking their lives for us, right? So we can start by paying attention to people we normally don't pay attention to. And I want you to listen to her words. She says this, as you are checking out, she's got this imaginary situation, right? Where you're checking out, you're paying attention to the cashier at the grocery store. She says this, here is someone who exists even when she's not ringing up your groceries. As hard as that may be for you to imagine. She's someone's daughter, maybe someone's mother as well. She has a home she returns to when she hangs her apron here, a, a kitchen that smells of last night's supper. A bed where she occasionally lies awake at night, wrestling with her own demons and angels. You saved $11.06 by shopping at Winn-Dixie, she says to you. All that is required of you is to look back. Just meet her eyes for a moment when you say, thanks. Sometimes that's all another person needs, to know that she has been seen. Not the cashier, but the person. But even if she doesn't seem to notice, the encounter has occurred. 
you noticed, and because you did, neither of you will ever be quite the same again. So that's one of those ways where we can sort of practice this in a small way. And the accumulation of these practices will transform us and change us. So go ahead and try it. See if you can, see if you can get better at it. Um, it will get easier. Uh, try a little more philozenia uh, in your life. Uh, what stranger is God calling you to embrace? What, uh, what borders, what boundaries is God asking you to cross so that you can embrace and welcome the other? It's a good question, I think. Okay, here's the next thing. Um, Jesus leads with vulnerability. And I love this. I love, love, love this. So John describes the story where Jesus goes to the well, describes him as thirsty. Uh, he's tired. Uh, he's sitting there. Uh, and then a woman comes and he says, will you give me something to drink? And as I, as I think about this, I wonder, how long has he been waiting there? Like, does he have to wait a really long time? Because in the wilderness with no water is no joke. Like, people die out there. And uh, so I wonder if he also, I wonder if it brought him back to that time when he was in the wilderness and the evil one came and tempted him and said, hey, turn these stones into bread. Like, I think he could have gotten himself some water. Let's just be honest about that. It's Jesus. But he doesn't. He waits. And the woman comes, and he asks for a drink of water. And I think this is an amazing moment. He leads with, he's completely vulnerable, and he leads with vulnerability. How often do we Jesus people run into the world with a sense that we know everything? Like, we can fix things. How often do we engage the world in like a, in like a condescending way. Like, if people would just do what we tell them to, we'll fix the world. The world will be just fantastic. And I wonder, do we have nothing to learn from people who aren't following Jesus like we are? Do we really? Do we have nothing to learn? Because I think we have a whole lot to learn. I think we do. I mean, this woman trusts Jesus because of his humility, right? Well, his grace, I think something that stands out to me is you were talking about his vulnerability. I mean, first of all, he's thirsty. Who knows how long he's been there? Like, he could have just been hangry but thirsty, right? Just yeah. demanding. Yeah. Just give me something to drink. I'm thirsty. Right. Uh, but also talking about social boundaries that he's crossing um, and religious boundaries and all these different boundaries that he's crossing, he could have easily... Just demanded. Yeah, and he he holds all the power. Yeah. He holds all the power. And so he asks humbly, "Will you give me a drink?" Yeah. And I, that's powerful to me. I mean, yeah. I guess. Yeah, me too. I mean, what if we led with vulnerability? What if what if we Jesus people? Huh, what if we tried a big dose of humility? Um, what would that What would that look like? In the world, because when, I think when we do that, we're just revealing the heart, the heart of God, to the world. When we 
engage in, in humility and humble ways and we become vulnerable, we're just revealing the heart of God, which is humble and vulnerable, but also courageous, willing to cross boundaries in order to, to be with us. So. And all of that from a simple phrase of, will you give me a drink? Yeah. Right. <laughs> we haven't even gotten to the, right. where is food's coming from? Right. Yeah. Will you give me something to drink? Um, so she trusts him because it's humility. I wonder if, I wonder if we might be trusted a little bit more if we, if we were a little humble. Yeah. Anyway. Um, okay. So that's the second thing. Uh, here's, here's the last thing. Um, he engages her. He sees her uh, without shaming her and without condemning her. And again, I think this is amazing. Look, the conversation takes a dramatic turn when Jesus reveals that he knows more about her than she thinks he knows. Like, awkward moment. Talk about that. Like, he's, he's like, you're right in saying that you have no husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the person you're with now is not your husband. Right now, look, there are a whole bunch of reasons why this must, why this might be the case. She, she doesn't necessarily have to be a prostitute or a harlot or, I, I googled, one person said she's just uh, a woman who's prone to sensuality. Um, And, but there might be all sorts of reasons. She, that makes me so uncomfortable. You, you giggle. So, Sorry. yeah, but we jump to that yeah. because it's sensational, it's scandalous. Why? There are all sorts of reasons. She, she may have been married off as a teen and her husband may have died. This woman might be a widow. If she's a widow, according to Levitical codes, she may have been passed between the other brothers of her husband who's now gone. So that's why she may have had five husbands, right? Maybe she was abused. Uh, maybe she was uh, discarded by all her other husbands because they found out she couldn't have babies, she couldn't have children. So there are all kinds of different reasons why this might be the case, but here's the deal. We know that this woman could not initiate divorce. Only the men could do that. And it happened five times. So this wasn't something she did. This was something that was done to her, right? And because of it, she had all sorts of shame. Like she wanted to be invisible. She didn't want to be seen. All the, all the other women would have come to the well in the cool of the morning, right? Together, as a community, she came at the hottest part of the day. Again, why? Ask the question, why? That was one of my first questions. She wanted to be invisible, right? Like, can you imagine her going with the rest of the women? She didn't wanna, she didn't wanna hear the whispers. She didn't wanna, she didn't want to have the side glances. She didn't want to overhear gossip about her. She didn't want to let anyone else into her trauma, into her pain. And so she came when no one else was. She was pra literally practicing social isolation, social distancing, 
because of things that had happened to her. But then here comes Jesus. Right? He sees her entire story. He doesn't hide from it. He, he names it. But what doesn't he do? He doesn't shame her for it. He doesn't condemn her for it. He doesn't, he, he speaks to her in such a way that she feels loved, not judged. And when he does, he communicates that she can be okay with her true self. No more games, no more hiding, no more trying to pretend like things are, no more social isolation. He essentially says to her, I see who you really are. I see what's been done to you. And yet he embraces her and accepts her. And he essentially says, I love you still. Now see me for who I am, living water. You'll never drink of me and you will live. You will never go through. And she, she does. In fact, this, this part of the story is so fantastic. She has such an experience with Jesus that it fills her with something. And she has to run off and she has to go tell her neighbors. Totally, totally forgetting that she wants to be socially isolated. So she goes and she starts talking about this. And John tells us this, this little detail in the story. She leaves her water jug behind. So I love that part because <laughs> she's like, I don't need that water anymore. I got this other kind of water that filled me up. And now I got to go talk to people about it. Right? So she was filled because of being embraced, not judged, uh, not shamed. She's different now. Right? Now she can engage community. So I, I think during this season, maybe God is inviting us to see each other through eyes of love instead of judgment. Right? I think maybe God is inviting us to, to see our own stories through the eyes of love and not judgment. Maybe God is inviting us because we accumulate layers of interpretation on our own lives. And sometimes the stories that we tell about ourselves can be really damaging. And maybe God is trying to ask us to peel back those layers too. Those layers where we tell ourselves we're not good enough, that, that somehow we're insignificant, that we don't matter, that we just haven't worked hard enough, that we've screwed everything up. Maybe, maybe God is inviting us to peel those layers back and see ourselves for who we truly are, people, people who are loved and accepted by the creator of the universe. And maybe, Maybe if we do that, we'll be able to love ourselves again. And maybe in loving ourselves again, we'll be able to, we'll be able to cross those boundaries better. Maybe we'll be better equipped to, to be more vulnerable, to ask questions, to ask questions, to, to have a whole lot more humility. Maybe that's what God is asking of us. Anyway, that's all I got. That was different and weird. It was so different. Let's, uh, let's pray. Um, then we'll, we'll sing again. So let's do that. God, um, thanks for, for this story and for stories like it, for, for how you speak to us through it. And for, for, for just the person of Jesus, for being able to watch how he interacts, for 
for his courage to, to just almost pretend like those boundaries don't exist between us and them. Um, thank you for him crossing the boundary and becoming one of us to show us what it looks like to truly be human, to lead with vulnerability, to lead with humility, to, to see people with eyes of love and not, and not judgment and not shame. We're, we're good at that. And God, help us practice. Help us practice differently. Um, God, do what you need to do in us. Change us and transform us. Make us look more like you. Amen.